this morning's this morning's readings from Ephesians chapter 1 verses 1 through 14. You may also follow on on page 6 of your bulletin. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to God's holy people in Ephesus, your <coughs> the faithful in Jesus in, in Christ Jesus, grace and peace to you from God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms from every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in the sight in his sight. In love he predestines us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his gracious, um, glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. With all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his great pleasure, which he purposed in Christ, to be put in effect when, he, when, when the times reach their fulfillment to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we who were the first to put our hope in Christ might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of our, your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. here with us last week. That's right, it is the same passage. No, that's not a typo um, or a misprint. Uh, some friends of mine and I uh, who are together pastors will sometimes joke, you know, when you're uh, short on time and you're not sure you're going to be able to make the deadline and have a fresh sermon to preach uh, that you always have as your backup to show up and say, you all didn't get it last week. We're just going to do it all over again. Uh, you just uh, recycle what you said last week and Preach the same thing. No, that's, that's not the case today. We're just going to take the same passage and take a couple new cuts at it because there really is so much here. And because that's the case, let's pray because we do need God's help. Let's pray together. God, we thank you that you are our helper. We even sung it earlier. We look and lift our eyes unto the hills. From where does our help come? Our help comes from the Lord, maker of heaven and earth the redeemer of sinners like us, of sinners who are so tempted always to block out what we don't want to hear. And so we're asking for your help, that you would unplug the ears of our hearts, that we would hear the good news, that we would love you, Jesus, in return, and that you would change our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. There was a, a TV show that aired a couple of years ago, it's since been canceled, that's how great it was. Uh, it was called, I don't know if you've seen it, it's called uh, Really Big Things. I think it was on the Discovery Channel, Science TV, stuff like that. 
It's a show that profiled these massive and supersized objects and creations and natural things like giant telescopes and skyscrapers and paper-making machines and giant tree spiders. You, you know, really big things. What, what do you think should have been included in episodes in a show like this? What's really big in your mind, in your estimation? You know, maybe it's those oversized loads that you find on the highway that you always get stuck behind, right? Can't get around, have to just wait behind. You know, m maybe a really big thing to you is the Mega Millions lottery jackpot last month. $648 million split two ways. That's a lot of money and a lot of taxes. Uh, or you know what's really big? What's really big is this bridal party that I read about, a bridal party of a wedding held last November in Sri Lanka. Some of you are planning weddings or looking forward to some. 126 bridesmaids, 25 best men. 20, isn't that a contradiction in terms? 25 best, you can't, you know, 25 good men. 23 flower girls, that's really big. Or maybe you're thinking, here's what's really big, 7-Eleven's double gulp. You know, not, not the big gulp, not the super big gulp, you know, the double gulp. 64 ounces. That's five, over five cans of Coke. Did I do my math right? Some mathematicians nod your head. 64 ounces in its original version, 750 calories, but they had to shrink it down to 50 ounces. So you're not going to find 64 if you walk down the street to 7-Eleven. 50 ounces because it was so big that customers had a hard time carrying it. You know you're eating too much or drinking too much if you can't hold it anymore, all right? Or while we're on the talk of a food, you know what's big is this thing called the Absolutely Ridiculous Burger at Mally's Sports Bar in a small town in Michigan. 134 pounds of burger. The bun alone, 50 pounds and two feet thick. Supersized burger requires a supersized bottle of Pepto, right? Big things. Okay, you know what else is big? You know what else is really supersized? God. And the salvation that he offers us. And that's what today's passage tells us. God is big. Have you considered it lately? And the salvation that he offers you and me in Jesus is also very, very big. Let's take a look at this vision of a big God first, and then we'll look at the big salvation that he gives us, and then we'll close with some implications and applications. Paul tells us here in this letter to the Ephesian church about a big God. He tells us that God is big in his complexity. You look at the words that he uses in describing God, and he reminds us that God is what theologians have called over the generations. God is a trinity. Verse 2, he refers to God our Father. In verse 2 and 3, and really all throughout the passage, he talks about the Lord Jesus Christ, telling us that we are in Christ if you've embraced him by faith. 
Verse 13, then he tells us about God, the Holy Spirit, a trinity, one God and three persons. Not three gods, one God with three persons, equal in glory, equal in substance and power, but three distinct persons. Big in his complexity. God is not simple. If you are getting frustrated because you're having a hard time getting your minds around God, you may be on the right track. In fact, if you feel like you've got him all figured out, in fact, if you feel like you can describe him and you're looking at him and he looks a little bit like you, all your preferences, God never says anything I don't like. Every part of who he is, it makes sense to me. You got the wrong He's not simple, infinite, wonderful complexity and richness. The God of the Bible is a God that blows your mind. You know him. He's big in his complexity. He's big in his timelessness. We're told that he operates in saving us, verse 4, before the creation of the world. Before anything was, God is. In verse 10, we're told that this salvation is to be put into effect when time reaches its fulfillment. Verse 14, future redemption for those who are God's possession. We're reminded again and again that God stands outside of the human experience of time. And this is just so mind-boggling, isn't it? Because we're so insanely time-bound. We just can't get enough done in the time that we have. Or we feel short on time. What is a regret but some time-elapsed missed opportunity? How many of us live, maybe even acutely today, with the frustration, wishing there was more time? More time to know someone, more time to serve someone, more time to achieve things, whatever it might be. For you. And here's a God described in this passage and in 2 Peter 3 in this way that with this God, with the Lord, a day is like a thousand years. For him, one day passes like a thousand years for us. A God who is so massive, he's not bound by our passing time. He's a God who is big in his sovereignty, his majesty. Verse 11, according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. God has a plan and he's never off course. Would you let that sink in? What that means is you are never, if you are in God's purposes, you are never in his plan B. You're not strong enough to break yourself out of his will for your life. God never makes mistakes. He never has regrets. And no decision of his can be overturned wonderfully so. Job 42.2 puts it this way, God, I know you can do all things. No plan of yours can be thwarted, which is good news for me because I don't know about you, but I make a lot of bad, foolish choices. 
and I operate out of a lot of sin and selfishness to my shame. But here's good news. None of God's purposes for you in Jesus are ever thwarted by your sin and ever blocked by your foolishness. God is never frustrated by your sinful choices. Hallelujah. A God here who is so big, he is big in his generosity. Again, we come back to this idea of God being a trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. He gives all of himself. This is why Paul is telling us about all three persons. Every part of God is involved in the rescue of you and me. He gives all of himself. To use locker room lingo, it is a total team effort. The redemption of humanity. No part of God says, look, son, spirit, I'm going to sit this one out. You guys take care of this one. Doesn't say that. Salvation was planned in eternity past by God the Father. It was accomplished in history by God the Son on the cross. And it was applied to real people's lives by God the Holy Spirit. He's generous in bringing all of himself, investing all of himself unto the salvation of little old sinful me. Praise God. He's generous too because he lavishes us with his grace. Look at verse 6. He talks about the glorious grace of God which God has freely given us in the one he loves. And in verse 7 and 8, Paul tells us that God does all of this in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. It's this picture of a storehouse of treasure that God is constantly withdrawing from. And he'll never bounce a check. He'll never default on any promise he gives you to forgive your sins, to love you, to pour out kindness into your life, and to save you to the very end. Why? Because lavish is the storehouse, the bank account of his grace. He doesn't hold back. This big, big God, big in his complexity, big in his timelessness, big in his glory and sovereignty, big in his generosity. And so it's no surprise then that secondly, that when this God sets out to rescue broken, sinful humanity in this world, that his salvation is also very, very Paul gives us, you remember, a long list of all the benefits and all the blessings of knowing Jesus. We looked at this last week. In verse 3, God has blessed us in the heavenly realms with what? Every spiritual blessing in Christ. Every blessing. The blessing that God chose you by his grace which means that you're not a, a nameless and, and faceless person and your salvation is not accidental. Uh, God doesn't love you anonymously or accidentally. He loves you by name. The blessing of knowing a God who made you blameless in his sight for all the blemishes that we have, physical, emotional, moral, or otherwise. Filthy. 
is our soul because of the stain of our self-centeredness. And yet here in Jesus, we're told that God looks at us and he sees us as spotless and clean, unblemished. That he predestined us in his love, which meant that he decided beforehand, before we did anything good or anything bad, he said, I'm going to love you the same before you even existed, which means that there's nothing that you can do to change God's mind about you. That's how secure you are in his love. He, pre he adopted you as his child as well. He brought you into his family. He redeemed you through his blood, which means he set you free and broke the chains of slavery to your selfish heart. He forgave you of all of your sins. He treasured you such that if you were to ask God of all the things you own, God, what's the most valuable possession that you have? God, you own everything. What do you value the most and treasure the most that you would know his answer is you. You are my treasured possession, the apple of my eye. He gave us the Holy Spirit because he doesn't want to leave you powerless and he doesn't want a long-distance relationship with you. If you're in Jesus, God the Spirit lives in you today. He finally, and finally now, he revealed to us the message of his truth. He told you about it. He explains it to you in his word. And this too is a gift and a blessing because you can be a spiritual billionaire and not know it. You can be a spiritual billionaire and you can live like you're spiritually broke. And some of us are today. The Heavenly Father wants you to have assurance and purpose and praise in your hearts because you've become confident that if you're in Christ, you already have every spiritual blessing in Christ. Have you counted them lately? Have you marinated your soul in these blessings? That's a long list. And even that is just one run-on sentence that Paul has here. It's a single sentence, remember, verse 3 through verse 14. One sentence in the original Greek where Paul is spilling out six, seven, eight, nine different blessings. And there's much more. That's a long list. That's a big salvation. But see, Paul goes on to tell us that the scope of salvation purchased by Jesus is even bigger than that. And he tells us this in verse 10 when he says, as he's trucking along, explaining about what God has done for us in Christ, he says all of that is heading to this end in history, this goal to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. That his purpose is to bring all things together under Jesus. Because you know, have you noticed, things are broken in this world. And things are broken in my life. Things are disintegrating, pulling apart at its seams. People are divided. This world is torn apart because we've lost God. And everything about us is falling apart. And so here's the hope. God's going to mend it all together. He's going to mend it all together. See, he's bringing back through Jesus unity with God. 
Because first and foremost, our relationship with God is torn apart. We're cut off from God. We're made to worship him, and yet we insist on worshiping every other thing, whether person or job or possession. We dethrone him, and we try so hard to make ourselves the center of the universe. And here's the God who says, I want you back. I want reconciliation through my son. We're at war here, you and me, sinful humanity and a holy God, but I want to forgive you your sins, and not just that, I want to bring you into my family, reconciliation with God. All things will be brought together. This also includes unity with yourself. See, because we have a broken relationship even with me. I don't know who I am anymore because I was made for God, and now because of sin, I'm dislocated and disoriented, which is why we're filled with unhappiness and guilt and a lack of meaning and fear and anxiety. Have you been anxious lately? Here we have a God who says, look, I want you to be whole, bringing unity with yourself that you would find who you truly were meant to be in God through Jesus Christ. He's bringing together all things in Jesus. This includes also unity with others, not only unity with God and unity with yourself, but also unity with others. Because our relationships with other people are also broken apart, aren't they? Torn apart. Even people we love, we stiff arm. Even people we're trying to serve, we have self-centered motives, thinking about ourselves. And then there are people that we hate, people we would call enemies, people that we would say we kind of like and respect, but we have no idea how to befriend. Our hearts are full of fighting and conflict. Our hearts are full of racism and classism, looking down on people simply because they're not just like me. We have breakdown in our families. We have the misuse of our resources, which results in poverty. We run over others. We use others. We have broken relationships. And here's the good news, that even this will be mended in Jesus. Our relationships will be brought together and healed by the King of Grace. That he'll teach us to love even as we have been loved. It starts right now here in community but it will be perfected one day when we will love by instinct in heaven. God is bringing about a unifying of all things, a unity with God, a unity with yourself, a unity with others, and lastly, a unity with creation. Because we even have a broken relationship with nature. You know, winds and rain and the ground itself was not meant to clobber us and kill us. And yet we're afflicted daily by hurricanes and earthquakes and fire. Our bodies fail us and eventually die. We age and we are broken by disease. And we don't know what to do with our possessions. We're eaten alive by materialism. And here's a God that brings a new relationship with the physical world. The promise that one day we will be given physical bodies that are renewed and resurrected. Nothing wrong with them. Immortal, unbreakable, 
the way we were always meant to be as human beings. Where we will be able to know God and celebrate God even physically. Where all of creation will be quiet and full of grace. Where the ground will no longer eat us alive. There will be no more death. Where our relationships with the world and with one another will be such that there will be no more injustice, no more brokenness. Can you imagine this life? All the ruptures, all the tearing apart are healed and mended in Jesus. Everything that's wrong with you will be made right. Everything that is wrong with the world will be made right. Do you know this big, massive salvation? I mean, some of you, I really think, may not even know that this is part of the Christian understanding of God's rescue of this world. And maybe that's why you've walked away from it many years ago. Because you've said to yourself, I care about music and art. I care about culture and justice. I care about poverty. I care about the broken things of this world. So why is it that no one in the church talks about anything but forgiveness? It doesn't seem like God cares about the things I care about. But you know, dear friends, he does. Because he's bringing together all things under Christ. Every part of life, every broken thing will be healed and mended and unified under Jesus. That's good news. That is good news. As Amy Sherman, a colleague and friend, wrote in a recent book, Kingdom... uh, What is the name of the book? Kingdom Calling wrote so helpfully about how we lose sight of this big vision of salvation to our detriment. An extended quote, but let me read it. Too many churches preach an individualistic gospel limited to only, quote unquote, having a personal relationship with Jesus. Our gospel is too small. While it is rightly centered on the vital atoning work of Jesus on the cross, it fails to grasp the comprehensive significance of his redemptive work. The glorious truths celebrated in this too narrow gospel does not in themselves capture the full, grand, amazing scope of Jesus' redemptive work. Jesus' work is not exclusively about our individual salvation, though it is that, but also about the cosmic redemption and renewal of all things. It is not just about our reconciliation to a holy God, though that is the beautiful center of it. It is also about our reconciliation with one another and with the creation itself. Big God, big salvation. Let me close with a few implications for us, and then we're done. Number one, you and I, we really do want God to be this big. We really do want God to be this big. Because a big God and a big salvation means a big experience of joy. 1 Peter 1.8 says, You believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. 
And Paul, in the letter to the Galatian church in chapter 4, poses this question, what has happened to all your joy? And maybe that's a relevant question for some of you who have felt like you've been saved by Christ many years ago, or maybe not too long ago, and you experienced some joy and elation and freedom and benefit from that, and it's no longer there, what has happened to all your joy? You know where it comes from is a big salvation. Is the soul's ability to create a long, long run-on sentence list of all the blessings and benefits of Christ. Maybe some of you need to go home, open up a journal or a scrap piece of paper and start writing down everything that God has done for you in Christ. And pour over it until it starts to pierce your heart and the tears begin to flow because you can say, God has been good. Big salvation and a big God means a big experience, not only of joy, but also of love. Because you see, it's only when you start to see that God could have continued on without having to save a single person. He doesn't owe it to us. He gives it to us freely, but he did it at great cost to himself. A holy God who died himself in the person of his son on the cross, taking the punishment for our sins. This, the Apostle Paul elsewhere says, is God's great demonstration of his love. This is how we know the love of God. A majestic and a holy God who did not have to do it, but at great cost and sacrifice to himself did, simply because he loved you. All other versions of the love of God is mere sentimentality. All other versions of the grace of God is just simple permissiveness and tolerance. If it didn't cost God his own life, it ain't true love. And nowhere else would you find a vision of the love of God like this one. Rich, costly love. Bleeding love. You really want a God this big if you want to have a life-changing experience of his love, and you really want a God this big if you really want to be free. You see, because if God is small as we so often conceive of him as being, then all the troubles in your life and all the hard decisions and all the twists and turns and trials before you are all on you. You better choose well, you better do well. But here's the good news of a big God who holds you in his hand and guides you by his right hand, who rescues you from danger, who pours out his life into yours by his spirit. He's your protector. He's your provider. He's the lover of your soul. He's taking care of you, and that means you are free from the paranoia of having to figure out life on your own, free from the fear of screwing up life when you now know that God is so big that no plan or purpose for your life can ever be thwarted. If God is for you, who or what can be against you?
secondly, we not only want God to be this big, we really do need God to be this big. Because a small God can't save you and a small God can't help you. It's a wonderful picture in the Old Testament, this poetic metaphor of God who doesn't have a physical body, but sort of picturing God with an arm that rescues and pulls you out of a pit or who fights against your enemies and delivers you. And the great prophets would use this language using the voice of God saying, is my arm too short to save? Is there any deep pit that my arm is too short and too weak to rescue you out of? God is mighty to save. We need a God this big because our sin and this world's brokenness really is big. We need such a Savior. And lastly, to close, God is lastly inviting you to be a part of something bigger than yourself. Our hearts crave this, doesn't it? Some of you that aren't native to this town or maybe just moved here recently, a lot of us, that's the story of how you came to Washington in the first place. I want to be a part of something. We long for this. And yet how much do we make our religious pursuits and even our embrace of the Christian salvation as being simply something all about me and my needs? It's all about you. And this picture of a big salvation given to us by a big God reminds us, yes, it is about you. He loves you. You are the treasured possession of the heart of God. But it's not only about you. It's not only about you. God has rescued you, and God invites you to his rescue as part of this massive project of salvation that he enacted before the creation of the world and that he's one day going to finish when his son comes again, and he is coming again. Because he's going to save all things starting with you and your brokenness, but it's going to extend to every part of life. You see, some of us have such a small vision of God and salvation that even as a Christian, you are becoming more self-centered in your spirituality. Because you can only think of God in terms of me. And you can only think of salvation in terms of me. And you have no idea how to look out to other people and other things in the world around you, which is really when the adventure and the joy begins to say there's not one part of this broken world in life that God isn't going to bring together under Christ. This is our hope. This is our passion. This is our God. And this is our salvation. It's big, and he's big. Let's worship him, and let's pray. God, we pray that you would enlarge our souls, that we would be able to just get a glimpse, even a glimpse, of who you really are. You who are an awesome wonder to us, Blow our minds, O oh God. Enlarge our hearts. We worship you as the big God that you are. We worship you for the big salvation that you've given us in your Son, in whose name we pray. Amen. Let's stand and let's pray, uh, sing together.